0: Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, where it's all about uncovering questions, thoughts, and discoveries in your own personal Book of Mormon study. I know it seems crazy, but for over four years, I've been writing out the Book of Mormon, word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. It's amazing what we can learn when we slow down and give space for personal revelation and insights beyond our normal reading pace. I'm Susan Gardner, a convert, a cyclist, and a Zuma to eight amazing grandkids. Come with me as we unveil new perspectives and understanding as I continue to write out the Book of Mormon. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Susan Gardner, and you're listening to Writing the Book of Mormon podcast, season two, episode one. I've noticed that I'm a journal keeper. In fact, I counted it, and I have 10 journals. I noticed this week, in my first journal on the front page, I taped a list of goals I had written out. It's dated October 13, 1977. On the top left-hand corner of the page, I wrote, My Dream, capital letters and underlined. When I was 15 years old, this was my dream. This was my list. First, to have my family, all members of the church, For my parents to be married in the temple and my brother and I to be sealed to them. The second one is, attend Sunday school every Sunday. Then, to be married in the temple. My family be active in the church. Make many friends. Be successful in music. And last, but not least, to end up being very active in the church and having my Father in Heaven happy with me. As I look at that list, nearly 43 years to the date later, I see some goals and dreams have come true. Some have been met, some I'm still working on, and some are yet to be known. But mostly when I look at this list, I see all the stuff in between. Stuff meaning all the emotions, feelings, and circumstances that went with writing those words. Let's just say... There's more there than meets the eye. Isn't it interesting how our eyes can read the words that are written, but our heart can understand the meaning behind them? So, for example, in the list I shared, one of the goals I made was to attend Sunday school every Sunday. The words give information to the reader as a spelled out goal, right? But your heart seems to understand that there's a desire for change, although the words are the same. I'll give you a little background. I was baptized at age 11, but rarely attended church for about three years after that. Despite the encouragement from my mom and phone calls from faithful leaders, I didn't like church. Even when I did attend, don't get me wrong, I was welcomed and everybody was really friendly, but you know what? I still felt uncomfortable. Okay, I'll be completely honest here. Truth is, when I went to church, it seemed I'd always have to wear a dress. Being an athletic or outdoorsy, rough-and-tumble girl, dresses were not my vibe. Therefore, church just wasn't my thing. My point is, there's always more to the story than written words on the page. In fact, we are told this is the case many times in the Book of Mormon. Admits all the amazing entries were reminded at least 51 times throughout the book, the recorded entries we read don't include all the details. We're told how difficult it is to write on the plates, that there are many more things which are not included, we read this is not a full account, and learn what we do have isn't even a hundredth part. I've discovered many things if I have sought the spirit to fill in the missing details. Here are just three. First, reminding myself these are real-life situations make a big difference to what I'm reading. Second, I found reading between the lines lets my heart tell me what my eyes can't see. Third, taking time to consider emotions and asking questions help me understand what I'm reading in a more meaningful way. When I do these things, I find I'm being taught even without the details included. Now, let me be clear. I know the most important parts of any event recorded in the Book of Mormon were included there for a purpose. So I'm not advocating to ignore the most important lessons in the story as you explore possibilities of missing details. Rather, thinking about real-life circumstances surrounding the storyline adds richness and depth to what we're reading. Okay, let's move on. I have a few examples from the Book of Mormon I'd like to share. First is the awesome storyline of Alma and the Sons of Mosiah found in Mosiah chapter 27. Remember, repentance, redemption, and the Messiah's atonement for all is the doctrine we need to focus on. But just for fun, let's think about some questions. Have you ever wondered how Alma and the Sons of Mosiah became friends in the first place? I have! Here's my take on that question. I would think since all these boys' fathers were both highly visible leaders, one was the high priest of the church and the other was the king of the land, it seems their families would share similar social circles. Since they were great friends, could they possibly be close to the same age? Maybe the families knew each other for a long time. Maybe the boys grew up together. Applying plausible situations to what we read in the scriptures is something I like to do. Remember, we're told the ordinary details were left out because they were short on space or too difficult to add, not because they didn't happen. Adding the ordinary details back into the stories make the stories more relatable. The second story I'd like to share involved Abinadiah. It's a short verse found in Mosiah chapter 12, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that after the space of two years, that Abinadi came among them in disguise, that they knew him not. What did you notice about this verse? Well, I noticed the phrase, after two years, and, I also noticed, came among them in disguise. I know all my points are purely conjecture, and that they don't really matter, But for me, to sit in that space a minute and think about the phrase, two years, I think about how the time would go by for me. I think about all the changes that can happen in that time. Wars and political unrest, changes in government, there are marriages and babies are born and people die. All the celebrations, birthdays and anniversaries, graduations and holidays. A lot happens during the two-year period, wouldn't you say? I also wonder, how did he know to go back after two years of being away? Did the Lord tell him, Okay, Abinadi, now it's time to return to the city. Or was there a different factor that played into that decision? Now, what about the word disguise? Previously, when I read this verse and saw this word, I just conjured up in my mind somebody putting on a silly mask to sneak into the city undetected. I quickly read on and to get to the point where, remember that part, where he stood boldly commanding nobody to touch him so that he could finish his message? But this time, instead of skipping quickly through this part, I thought about it. As I did so, yeah, you guessed it, many questions came to mind. Questions like, when Benedite got to the city, what was it that made him realize he needed a disguise? Was there a guard or someone at the entrance, Abinadi, was certain would recognize him even after two years? If that was the reason, maybe two years earlier, when he was thrown out of the city, it created a big enough commotion that Abenedi would still be easily identified? Was the disguise something he realized he needed right then, or did he know he'd need it all along? And what about that disguise? What did he use? Did he just hide his face or was it something more? Yes, I know none of this matters. But again, stopping and thinking and questioning helps me go into the story better. I get a more realistic feel for what's happening. May I share something with you that happened to me recently? I mean, when I was putting this podcast presentation together is when it happened. I remember going through the process for this particular verse. I was taught something new about this well-known prophet. I feel like, in a way, I've got to know him a little better. I see more than the man I've read about repeatedly and seen portrayed in that famous Arnold Freeburg painting. It was a cool experience. This is how it happened. In fact, it seems like I saw this great prophet in a new light. I saw a man willing to go back to a city he'd been cast out of after two years. We don't know what he did during that two-year waiting period, yet when when he was called upon to return, he may have had to make the decision to leave safe and comfortable for hostile and wicked. I saw Benedict not just trying to get into the city undetected. I saw a dedicated prophet of God willing to do anything to get into the city so that he could testify to those who lived there, even if it meant disguising himself to do so. I was taught that Abinadi had been an obedient, steadfast, and tenacious man long before he ever stood in the court of King Noah. The last example is in Second Nephi chapter 5, verses 1, 4, and 5. Verse 1 says, Behold, it came to pass that I, Nephi, did cry much unto the Lord my God because of the anger of my brethren, In this verse, we find the relationship between Nephi and his brothers was bad. By bad, I mean worse than usual. Like many times before, Nephi had prayed about what to do concerning his brothers. However, this time was different. Mormon describes Nephi as crying much. He must have approached the Lord many times about this situation. This weighed heavily on his heart. Verse 4 tells us why it was such a pressing issue. Now, I do not write upon these plates all the words which they murmured against me, but it sufficeth me to say that they did seek to take away my life. Again, we see we are not giving every detail, but are made aware of the severity of the situation and why Nephi had sought the Lord many times for answers. Next verse, verse 5. And it came to pass that the Lord did warn me, that I, and Nephi, should depart from them and flee into the wilderness and all those who would go with me. There's his answer. He needs to bring all those that will go with him and get out. As I thought about Nephi receiving this direction to leave, I thought about past direction he had received directed to his brothers. Let's see. He's been told to lead them and teach them. He's been told to help them, serve them, love them, and forgive them. Now he's told to leave them, flee, and to take all those that would go with him. It's come to this. How heartbreaking to know there's no fix. There's nothing left to do at this time or say at this time, only to leave. To get a better idea of what Nephi may be feeling, I'd like to review what Nephi has gone through with his brothers. When I do so, I see mostly conflict and difficulty. At the same time, I can appreciate how it may have been painful to face the fact it was time to leave them. Moments like these remind me what I'm reading is real, not fantasy. I know Mormon was inspired by God to compile a book using sections from many records kept over the centuries. This abridged book would change the lives of millions of people thousands of years in the future. I mean, come on, no pressure, right? If I could write Mormon a letter, it'd go something like this. Dear Brother Mormon, can I just say, good job? I want you to know, even though we're not giving every detail in the records you left us, I've personally had countless spiritual experiences writing out this book. The Spirit has witnessed to me time and time again, not only that what's in the book is true, but also that these are true accounts of real people. Thank you so much for this book. I love it. And if I haven't mentioned it before, I'm Susan. Just one of those millions of people, thousands of years in the future, that this book changed for the best better I could ever have imagined. Oh, I know this is way before your time, but by any chance, do you know how uh, Alma and the Sons of Mosiah became friends? Just curious. Sincerely, Susan Gardner. Moving forward, even at this age, I continue to make new personal goals and reach for new dreams. It's a good thing I know. It's not important to discover it first. It's more important to discover it for yourself. Slow pace, give space. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who also loves the Book of Mormon. And if you're on Facebook, be sure to like our page and join our community. You type in writing the Book of Mormon dash discussion group. This will keep you up to date and current with new topics and conversations surrounding our study. I do appreciate you and I hope you have an amazing day.